Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think at a basic level, we all just want to be seen and heard and, you know, validated and um, loved. And I think that's what that's what we try to do. We, I mean, I think as health professionals, we all come from a place of compassion and selflessness and wanting to help other people. So, um, yeah, I feel deep down we are all very similar and it's just a matter of sort of taking away the layers of what life has put on that individual and, and to help find their gooey center. And- Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host Deepak Sharma and this podcast aims to connect communities through conversation. I truly believe that all human beings are fundamentally the same and really kind of want the same thing. So I like to have conversations with people from different walks of life to explore just that. This week I sit down with Lisa Flanders and Andrea Plitz, two brilliant orthopedic physiotherapists and founders of Bloom Integrative Health and Movement, a physiotherapy-driven wellness center. But Lisa and Andrea aren't your everyday sports injury physios. They focus on abdominal pelvic health and are specialists in dysfunction related to the pelvic floor region for all genders. In this podcast, we discuss many somewhat sensitive yet important topics to discuss related to pelvic health, such as pelvic pain and pelvic organ prolapse, as well as exercise-induced incontinence, painful intercourse, hernias, and so much more. We cover a broad range of topics, including pre- and postnatal care, the impacts of breathing and nutrition on your well-being, as well as some practical tips to be proactive about such issues. We also dive into the business side of things, social media and marketing, and much, much more. Bloom offers small group personalized yoga movement classes, health seminars open to the public, and many more services open all. But what really sets their practice apart to me is that they take an entire systems approach to bringing people back to health. We had a really fun conversation, and I think you're going to gain a lot of value from it. Look, I love bringing this kind of content to you, but I need your help to take it to the next level. And here's how you can help. Please subscribe on whatever platform you consume podcasts on. Leave a rating and review. Share the link to the podcast on all platforms. Subscribe to the email list on my website, it's not that deeppodcast.com, or contribute to my Patreon page. I really do hope you enjoy the podcast, and remember, it's not that deep. Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast, guys. I have Andrea Plitz and Lisa Flanders. I pronounced that right? Yeah. With me today, you guys are really interesting. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, You guys are some of the most highly regarded orthopedic and pelvic floor physiotherapists in the city. Um, And as of recently, you're co-founders of Bloom Integrative Health and Movement Center. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on opening that. Thank you. Um, it's really nice to have you out here. And thanks also for giving me a little tour of the place um, last week. That was really fun. Um, and yeah, congratulations. Um, I want to actually, because we are kind of limited on time today, I want to dive straight into your guys' backgrounds, your respective, um, how you got into this and like what really interested you about pelvic floor and something so specific so niche mm-hmm. yeah so i'll start with andrea sure um so what do you want to know first oh well okay <laughs> why don't we talk first about how you got into this field and sure and- um so i remember being in physio school about 10 years ago or over 10 years ago now um and being introduced to the concept of pelvic floor dysfunction so a lot of bladder bowel sexual dysfunction um that is is Considered orthopedic, but a very specialized focus of orthopedics, so musculoskeletal health. Um, and at the time, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. You know, I really wanted to do orthopedics. And then a little bit more into school, I really wanted to do oncology rehab and cancer rehab. Um, yeah, and then getting out of school, did some orthopedic outpatient stuff, sports physio, that type of thing. And uh, loved it, but was still looking for something a little bit more. So then I did lymphedema training for um, breast cancer. Didn't love that so much. Then when my uh, mentor at the time just suggested I take my first level pelvic floor, see what's going on there a little bit deeper. And yeah, I went with my first course and was like, man, there's so much more to this than just Kegels and hoping to not pee your pants or not have pain, right? It was really integrative to the rest of the body. And um, so many people, even just with the basic 
pelvic floor dysfunction was so huge and, and so much need of care. So I just sort of kept going down that rabbit hole and, and really loved it. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. Lisa, yourself? Um, so, I mean, my I think my experience was very similar to Andy where, um, you know, I, I got out of school. We learned like a very, very small amount in physio school about public health. And um, I think I'd actually, to be honest, missed a lecture that they had done on public health because <laughs> someone brought it up after to me and kind of commented on on, on the fact that I go to the washroom, I, I used to go to the washroom quite frequently between all classes. So um, I started working in like a general orthopedic clinic. A lot of people would come in with uh, like desk workers that so would live in Ottawa. A lot of people work at desks. So lots of low back pain, um, lots of hip pain. And I really just felt that there, there's this like piece I was missing. So I did the same thing. I did my level one course. And I remember on the level one um, in Montreal, they were like, who here um, gets home from work and puts their key in the door and has to go to the washroom the second they put their key in the door? And I was like, yeah, I do that. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like just me. I thought I had a weak bladder and every other person in the room, like 12 women, all put their hand up. And I was like, oh, this is like a really common problem. Um, and so I just really became quite interested in it from that perspective. And then I just was very lucky that my very first pelvic health client I had a couple weeks later, we had like such amazing success with her in such a short period of time um, that I was just really, really sparked my interest to learn, to learn more. So you went from level one to already having clients right away and, but you didn't have your own practice at that time. So how does that work? Uh, so I worked at a, like I worked at another clinic. Okay. Um, and what kind of clinic was that? It's like a general physiotherapy clinic. Okay. So, you know, you get a requisition from your doctor, you have shoulder pain, go see a physio. Right. That type of clinic. And uh, we worked really close to um, um, a government office. So a lot of our clientele were government workers. And okay. I think we put a sign up on the door <laughs> saying now treating uh, stress urine or now treating incontinence. And so maybe in that first, you know, six months I had four or five clients and then about Six months after I did that training, I actually moved to a clinic that was more focused in sort of a woman or, uh, yeah, well, more of a woman's health focus. Um, And that's where I started to build my own practice. So you guys identified kind of a gap in the market, something that was underserved and, you know, something that is affecting a lot of women out there. And you had your own personal reasons why you first got into that. And then you went from there. Talk to us about how you guys met and then how you guys then decided to open up your own clinic. So we met, um, I don't know, six, seven years ago um, on course. And we were both working at different um, multidisciplinary clinics, um, sort of as the only physios there. And uh, we just started chatting on course, and then we wanted to collaborate on a few different offerings to um, the public in the form of workshops for women and uh, pre and postnatal and pelvic floor health. Um, yeah, and then we did that for a few years collaborating, and we both talked one day, I'd love to have my own clinic, and one day that'd be so cool. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, then we're like, oh, well, maybe we could do it together because I don't really want to do it by myself because that's just a lot of work that one person, it's like, you must be Superman to do that. I don't know how people do that. Um, yeah. And then, so it just sort of evolved from there. And that's where we came up with um, the idea for Bloom. And we knew that we wanted it to be multidisciplinary and very focused on um, strong orthopedics because we're both orthopedic manual therapists initially. Um, and we focus a little bit more on the complex orthopedic side of it. So really integrating our pelvic health knowledge to orthopedics. So shoulder pain, back pain, just persistent aches and pains that don't really get better with traditional, whether it's chiro massage or physio, um, because people are missing that piece of the internal pelvic system and how that relates to the rest of the body. So that's the part that we wanted to create with Bloom. And then the other piece with Bloom is that um, we both worked in clinics that didn't have or that had really maximized their space. So there wasn't really um, a space to do group work um, and more therapeutic focused group work. And then also lifting. So at least there's a lot of uh, pelvic floor health for Olympic lifters and CrossFitters and that type of thing. And sometimes they won't leak until, you know, they load 350 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And we can only mime so much in <laughs> in like a traditional like right. massage therapy room where there's a table and like a little bit of space for movement. Like I just had a little bit of space for my yoga mat and um, my treatment table. So you can only do so much there, but sometimes you need to see them actually do run it. and yeah. do and lift super heavy and yeah. do all those types of things. Yeah. So that's what right. we were sort of envisioning for Bloom. 
Because it's one thing to go in there with some kind of pain and be like, oh, yeah, well, when I do this exercise, it doesn't feel right. But then there's another thing to be like, well, show me. Because yeah, exactly. sometimes it might not even be what you think it is as the person who's feeling that pain. Because it could it could start from another area in the body or there could be some reason maybe you're not bracing your core or maybe there's certain elements to your your day, let's say, like you said, you treat a lot of government workers and you're hunched over at a chair, internally rotated shoulders, just, mm -hmm. you know, sitting like this in kind of a compromised position for up to eight hours a day. And then you're going to the gym after and let's say you're doing CrossFit or doing some ridiculous snatches and, <laughs> you know, you're feeling good about yourself and you're lifting like a ridiculous amount of weight. But then you don't know why you're getting the shoulder pain or why you're getting this knee pain or something so let's say a client comes to you with a problem like that um, at bloom and how is how is it that you guys are going to take a whole like holistic approach and look at what's the root cause of this problem and you know how do you assess that what kind of exams what kind of things do you do there so we always do a really thorough history that's the most important piece um getting a bit of a story from the patient and then the way that um andrea and i approach sort of a, an assessment and um, our other physiotherapists as well, is that we're very concerned about looking at the movement that is important to that person. So if someone has pain with sitting, um, I don't really necessarily need to look at um, what it looks like when their back extends. I mean, we'll clear things, but a sitting task is something that we want to be mimicking. So then we might look at like a mini squat. Um, if someone's concern is running Again, we're not going to necessarily look at a forward bend. We want to look at, okay, what does that weight shift look like? Or what does a rotation look like? So we really try to apply the task that they, what, what, what has meaning to them to their assessment. The activities of daily life that actually impact them or whatever they really care about getting. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if someone came in and golf swinging, like mm -hmm. they, they had pain with a golf swing. Well, we want to make sure that we really assess rotation and standing in different planes because that's most meaningful to them and that's going to give us the biggest picture of what's actually happening in their body right yeah, because it's different biomechanically how your body moves to do one task versus another so sitting versus standing right and and also how do you get in and out of movements like what does that look like for you right it could be very different for me versus lisa so um the other thing we tend to do is so if someone comes in let's say complaining of pelvic pain man or woman so just also too, to mention that pelvic floor physio is not just for women we're at higher risk for those types of dysfunctions because our anatomy is slightly different, but um, the way it impacts our body can just come out in a slightly different way than for men. So um, so let's say someone comes in for pelvic pain, so male or female, So because male pelvic pain is typically more common than incontinence in men just because you guys have a few less holes and longer tubes and that type of yep. stuff. So um, yeah, so if they come in for pelvic pain, we're going to say, okay, well, when do you have your pelvic pain, right? And um looking at is it just with sitting or is this with after lifting or that type of thing or is it just after you run or that type of thing so looking at whole body um, not just the biomechanics of the joints and the musculature but also um, what are pressures doing so pressures I think is a really underrated um, sort of compensation pattern or strategy or even just input to your body that people don't really look at so especially with men inguinal hernias herniated discs. Sorry, what is that? Inguinalar is just uh, the area in your lower abdomen okay. Okay. above your uh, hip, your groin. Um, so, or like umbilical hernias. Um, you know, those are just spots of maladaptive pressure that over time have caused things to herniate um, and, and get stretched and pulled and, and lose its structural integrity. So, um, yeah, I think pre looking at pressures and what are you feeling with this and what's your awareness? Are you feeling like a slight pull and, and all those things? So looking at the biomechanics, which physiotherapists in general are really good at doing and chiropractors and, and the like. Um, but I think when we apply the pelvic health side, we look at, um, okay, well, what else is going on, especially with this abdominal canister and the pelvic canister and what's pressures doing? Also, how are you controlling? So we look at the core integration hugely with everyone, regardless of what you're coming in for. Um, so our core is not just the middle segment of our body. It's one definition. And that can include anything from like the abdominals, obliques, um, you know, back extensors, glutes, hamstrings, all that type of stuff. But when pelvic floor physios talk about core, we talk about the central stability system. So we talk about that deep um, system of four muscles that should work in a coordinated effort together to anticipate and, and 
stabilize against load. So this idea of bracing versus stabilizing. So bracing to me means more of like a pressurization strategy where you're just, you know, like in plank, you pressurize and you get this rigid stability. Right. Whereas core control is really about dynamic and fluid stability. So how can you move in and out of tasks? Like with breathing? Like how would breathing, you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, breathing yeah. for sure. So actually the four muscles of our central sylvia system, our core is, includes the respiratory diaphragm, so main muscle of breathing. Um, our deepest abdominal muscle, the transversus, so it's like the corset around the middle of our trunk. The bottom, we have the pelvic floor. And then at the back, um, we have these small little segmental stabilizers called multifidus. And they're small little oblique muscles at each level of the spine that go from the sacrum all the way up to our head. So if you're not controlling, let's say you have a back injury in the past, like herniated disc or whatever, and, and multifidus has atrophy because of pain long term there, then you're not stabilizing that segment well, right? So then you maybe get some back pain. Okay, but then also then what happens if you have another injury where maybe you fall on your tailbone and now your pelvic floor is tight for a long time just because your tailbone's like And can I interrupt you real quick and just for people listening and even myself because I didn't know what a pelvic floor was before (laughs) I heard about you guys. I thought I'd bring my model. Yeah, (laughs) I kind of wish you did, but it's all good. Uh, Maybe you can just explain to us in real basic terms what the pelvic floor is, what those muscles in that area consist of. Uh, So the pelvic floor is basically the base of your pelvis. Mm -hmm. Um, So it includes like the muscles, the ligaments, the bones, the joints that essentially support the the bladder, the bowel. They support reproduction, um, support movement, uh, changes in load. So it's essentially like a big basin at the bottom of the pelvis. Yeah. And when we talk about pelvic floor physio, we talk about um, structures and function within that basin. And then... A lot of time, though, when people think about pelvic floor, they think about the muscles themselves. So the muscles, there's three layers there, and they more pertain to sexual function, support, stability, and continence function, as far as lymphatic and as lymphatic function as well. Okay, because yeah. it's such a it's such a topic that I guess is just never really discussed. And I mean, you guys are involved with it every single day, so it's like such a part of your life. But mm-hmm. just normal people walking down the street it's not something it's not i I don't want to use the term sexy in this context but it's not a thing that people are told to be aware about or that there's even any significance to it Mm -hmm. it's just like you said it's something that kind of i guess people would even if they know what it is kind of would refer to something in a sexual sense like oh well that's kind of like the muscles in that sensitive area Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned Kegels and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So um, going back to what you were saying then about like someone having like uh, atrophied muscles in their low back or something like that. So the pelvic floor and all this, like all these transverse, all these different things are all related. They all interrelated. So so the system of our central stability core musculature should work in a coordinated effort together. So if one segment is off, so whether it's not doing all of its work because there's something else out of alignment and not allowing it to sit properly so then it can't do its full recruitment or you have a depressed injury and so there's maybe some scar tissue there. So especially postnatally, women that can get an episiotomy or some tearing and there's some scar tissue there. Um, even if you have, you know, abdominal surgery, let's say appendectomy for men, mm-hmm. or, you know, just to throw you guys back in the mix, <laughs> <laughs> then anything where it affects one of those four muscles can really affect anything in the body. Not, especially, I mean, not just bladder and bowel, that's the sort of the main thing that people think about when they think about pelvic floor physio. Um, but mostly it's just because they're a victim of things that happen on top of it, them or around them. And that's just, they're at the bottom and they just get the brunt of all the load and the pressure. And then so they lose their, their continence factor. Okay. Uh, for women, when is it important to see a physiotherapist um, pre or postnatal? So I think my ideal is if all women would see a pelvic floor physiotherapist pre-conception. Pre-conception. Before they even plan to become pregnant because that's a really great time to be able to create a connection to their body um, before even before even conceiving a child. Right. Now, I mean, that's not, that, I mean, that's my ideal. That, yeah. That's <laughs> In practice, gonna it's happen. not going to happen. Not necessarily. <laughs> Um, I mean, unless everyone just starts showing up to Bloom workshops and it's just on the ball, you know, but which we would love (laughs) (laughs) not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think the reason that we're not seeing or I think a lot of the times the first time someone hears about pelvic health is when they are pregnant. 
right? So, I mean, it's not too late at that point, but I mean, if we could, ideally, I'd like to see everyone at some point in their life preconception. Okay. And let's say now that they're, they are pregnant and they're, I, I mean, would that be something they do come see you while they're yeah. pregnant? Okay. So what are some of the reasons why they would? And then what are some of the things you could do to help out? I mean, there's going to be a variety of reasons. why. Obviously, but yeah. some of the main like things that, you know, if someone is going to be pregnant mm-hmm. soon that you guys could kind of help deal with for after, because I mean, from what I've heard and I like, I really don't know much about this subject, but after pregnancy, it, there can be many complications with the pelvic floor area. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you guys know a lot about that. So, but what are some of the things you could do even before that to kind of set yourself up? Yeah, well, even just something as simple as um, someone coming in for birth prep. So we'll, we give them education about, you know, what's, what is happening in their pelvic floor so they can understand where the muscles are, what they're doing, what the other structures need to be able to do during pregnancy and then also during birth. So even as basic as birth prep, that's something that we work with. Um, what exactly is birth prep? I know you just prep is just preparing, prepping for birth. Yeah, okay. preparing for birth, whether it be a vaginal birth or a cesarean section. Um, so we can actually help them to learn how to um, connect to the core pelvic floor. Again, part of pelvic floor is part of the core. Um, but then also to help um, give them some stretches for the pelvic floor to help uh, limit the potential for tearing or the need for an episiotomy during labor and birth. So in that way, it also then will help um, postpartum outcomes as far as pelvic health. So, um, yeah, and and even just on a basic level of connecting to their core pelvic floor, like Lisa said, so through like breath exercises and, you know, Kegels, reverse Kegels, so that's that relaxation of the pelvic floor, especially in preparation for birth, it's important to learn how to relax because if you're too tight, then the potential for tearing is much higher, right? Okay. Because the muscles won't stretch as well. So, um, yeah, especially in preparation for birth, I, I more get my women to learn how to relax and release pelvic floor because they tend to do get tight as well, trying to hold everything in for nine, 10 months, right? So um, it takes a lot of work to grow a baby and, and hold that in for so long. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you guys mentioned earlier incontinence, and that's kind of a common thing, I guess, where um, even, even in, in athletes and people who are you know unable to control their, I guess, bladder, like that's what, yeah. what is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. doing it. But like, yeah. what what is it that people can do to help that? Well, I, you know, just going back to, what Andrew was talking about earlier and the relationship to the pelvic floor and the rest of the body is right. there's not really going to be one prescription for okay, every yeah. single person. Uh, so, of course. Um, These are general yeah. guidelines. People do not, they're, they're not prescribing anything, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but that's just it. It's, it's very hard to give a blanket term or a blanket statement because until we see someone, we don't really know necessarily what the cause is. Sometimes like Andrew mentioned, the incontinence is just the victim of something else that's going on in the body. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we both, we're both believers that all forms of incontinence should be evaluated mm-hmm. um, so that you can basically be given the treatment that is individualized for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many so, different kinds of incontinence. I think that's yeah. probably yeah. the thing, too, is most people think, okay, um, so any involuntary loss of urine is non-optimal. It tells you that something's going on where your system can't manage that pressure or your muscles aren't working well or whatever it is. Right. Um, so and men can get this men as can well. Have incontinence yeah, yeah, yeah. as well, for sure. Um, so there's there's three different kinds of incontinence. There's stress incontinence, which happens when there's a stressor on the system. So common ones are coughing, sneezing, running, jumping, lifting, whatever. Um, laughing, jumping on trampoline, especially postpartum moms are like, I cannot do that. <laughs> um, and then secondary of incontinence is urge incontinence. So what Lisa talked about before, so putting your key in the door and you have this really strong urge to go pee that you have to like run to the washroom every time um, you have to go pee or just with certain triggers like putting your key in the door, hearing water running, whatever, whatever. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I've been in that situation For so sure. many times where <laughs> I have to pee so badly and then. I feel like I could probably have held it in for even longer, but the closer I get to my house yeah. and then I, by the time I get to the bathroom, it's like, I gotta go. Like if I don't find that toilet yeah. right now, it's a problem. So Do you want a little trick for that? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if ever you have like a common 
trigger for your urge or even I use it sometimes if I haven't gone pee at the clinic all day because I've been so busy and I'm like oh man I haven't gone pee for like eight hours it's awful and then I'm like oh my god I pee so bad um so it seems kind of productive but if you can just try to pause where you are so what a lot of people do when they have to pee is we tend to like cross a leg or we tend to like do a little pee dance <laughs> right move around or, we, or like compress around the bladder so the bladder is is an empty vessel right so the more pressure that's on the outside of the bladder the more it wants to empty and equilibrate that pressure so if you can try to create, think about creating space around the bladder. So create space around your belly. Don't cross your legs. Open, right? Take a nice big breath in. So this is where pelvic floor and diaphragm really interrelate. So we can think about the diaphragm at the top and then pelvic floor at the bottom, like the top and bottom of the piston. So if you take a nice breath in, that's going to cause pelvic floor to relax. Um, but then on the exhale is when the pelvic floor actually rises and does its natural Kegel and contraction. So if you exhale and try to think about connecting to pelvic floor, so many different ways you can do this. Um, you can think about stopping pee. You can think about closing front to back of the pelvis. And men, you can think about that walking into a cold lake, so that scrotal lift that you naturally oh, get. Okay, okay. You can think about shortening shaft. Um, and in that way, you can connect to pelvic floor a little bit more with its natural rise. So you're just getting, like, you're accentuating that natural rise. Um, and we have this negative feedback loop that goes directly from the pelvic floor muscles directly to the bladder muscle. So it doesn't go out to go all the way to this brain and back down. So it's really quick. Um, and that negative feedback loop will tell your bladder muscle to relax. So the bladder muscle, when it contracts, it pushes the urine out. So connecting pelvic floor Kegeling will tell the bladder muscle to relax. So you have more control. So on the exhale, Kegel. In God, your that mind. That sounds so counterintuitive, I know, though. right? <laughs> and then in your mind. So part of the urge, too, is very mental. Right. So we get this fear, panic, anxiety around peeing our pants. Yeah. Fair enough. It's embarrassing. Right. Um, and so the part of our brain that controls our bladder is right next to our emotional center of our brain. And so when that fear, panic, anxiety gets modulated in the brain, it can actually hyper arouse that part to, to tell the bladder to empty and to contract. So if we can pause, take a deep breath, inhale, create space, exhale, Kegel, say to yourself into your mind, I'm in control. I'll go pee when I'm sitting on the toilet after <sighs> three seconds. So your bladder is very literal for whatever reason. Okay. And so if you say, I just need to get home, I just need to get home. You see your home, you pull in the driveway, you pull on your street. That's your connotation of home in your brain, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And your bladder's like, cool, I'm home but you're not really where you should be to empty your bladder, right? So just very literal. I'm in control. I'll go pee when I'm sitting on the toilet after three seconds. You don't have to wait the three seconds. Just gives you a little extra time, especially in the winter, to unbutton pants and whatever. Um, if you put your key in the door, pause, breathe in, breathe out, Kegel. I'm in control. I'll go pee after I want to stay on the toilet after three seconds. Do that three to five times or so or until your urge calms down. So you're calming down that panic and anxiety and hyperarousal of the brain. And then once that urge calms down, you slowly go to the washroom. If that urge increases again on your way to the toilet, pause, repeat, regain control. So is this almost a practice as well in just being able to control your mind and breathing and just this can apply to much more than just your bladder? Sure, yeah. Because, yeah. sure. I mean, it sounds like very, like, almost meditating. Like, yeah. you're almost, like, meditating and, like, take a deep breath, calm down. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say, like, you are in control, but, like, yeah. No, but you are. You need, yeah. to, you need to regain control of your bladder. And that's the really breath cool. piece, again, works with that piston effect of the of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. Oh, so on the exhale, it reflexively lifts, and so it regains that... Um, negative feedback loop of the of the bladder of the pelvic floor that of the bladder. is powerful pro mm -hmm. tip you heard it pro here tip. first that's it awesome out. i'm gonna Let try that know. out uh how does alcohol affect that if if at all <laughs> because i I'd, I'd say probably the only the most of the time when you i've like ever had <laughs> that yeah actually that is a that's a question i'd like to ask you about that but after this one but like <laughs> does alcohol play a role in this as well and can that can it like negate this breathe, mm -hmm. calm down, you know, kind of thing? Because most of the time when I do really feel like I absolutely have to go right now, it's when I'm under the influence or when I've had <laughs> some, some beers or something. Yeah. Well, alcohol and caffeine are both diuretics, right? So they um, influence your body to release fluid. So it uh, doesn't mean that it can't work. It just means that there's going to be like that extra little piece that... Um, is triggering your body to be emptying fluid. Okay, mm -hmm. makes yeah. sense. And then it still works though. 
Yeah. Okay. You just cool. have to practice it a little bit, like when you're not under the influence. Right. So then when you are, you you're can that apply much better. It. Yeah. Cool. You've mentioned breaking your seal, and like <laughs> this is not even something that I plan to ask, but I mean we're there, so why yeah. not? Uh, is there any truth to that? Like, is that a real thing? Breaking your seal because, or is that all mental? And I've there, just been, it's so been alive. Be there's life. no seal that happens. <laughs> no, no, I mean, just no like physical seal, but place. sometimes it feels like, you know, the first time that you do, um, uh, PF or what's the urinate after, um, you know, having a few drinks, yeah. you feel like you just have to keep going. Well, Andrea mentioned that our bladder is very literal. So if we think that, that we've broken the seal, then our bladder is going to interpret that as that's exactly what's happened. Okay. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Great answer. And also the diuretic factor, right? And and the more alcohol you drink, the more um, the more concentrated your, your urine gets. So it irritates the bladder more. So it stimulates right. your need to have to empty But then more. why why does that not apply when you first start drinking? Like you can drink a significant amount without having to pee at first. Like, but then later it's like all coming back. Is it that mental? Like, is it, I don't know. I don't know. I've never yeah, thought about this. I don't know. Any I'm other public phrases out there who know this answer, please put it in the comments. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, let's move on to the next topic of um, uh, hernias. Let's talk about that a bit because it's kind of related. I don't know much about them, but how does that relate? And what are some of the things people can do to prevent those as well? So hernias are essentially um, when there is a tissue in the body that has stretched and then um, something that shouldn't be protruding through protrudes through. So they can happen in a variety of different areas. Sorry, I'm going to cough. No, no worries. <laughs> um, so Andrea talked about um, inguinal hernia. So that's more common in males. That's something that we often hear like, oh, I, I helped my buddy move his fridge this weekend and then I had a hernia. Um, a hernia can happen at the belly button. So the belly button, just the natural way that our belly button is, um, there is sort of like a natural hernia there. And when there's a lot of pressure, things can get pushed through things, meaning the intestines. Typically, um, we can see herniated discs. So a herniated disc means the, um, tissue has, sorry, the inside tissue of the disc has kind of pushed out to the outside. And so then that can compress nerves and be very uncomfortable. The other thing that a hernia can sort of be is, uh, and what, what we see a lot in practice as well is pelvic organ prolapse. So when the, um, in females, it, when the vaginal wall, either the front, the back or the roof aren't supporting the system, um, there's pressures being pushed somewhere. So we can see the bladder sort of, um, sitting lower or the rectum sitting sort of into the vagina or the cervix and the end or the uterus sitting lower. So realistically, they're all very similar. They're different presentations, but they're very similar when we're looking at pressure dynamics and and how the body reacts to pressure, central stability. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, pelvic organ prolapse, does this mostly happen in women? Um, mostly. And yeah. that's just because, again, our anatomy is different. We do have a third hole that, that men don't have. So men just have a little bit more support. Um, in females, our muscles tend to um, have a left and a right side. And so do men's. But men's are then attached in the middle by by tissue yeah and then so is this something that happens or can happen more often um postnatal like after having a baby it can this happen yeah, after having can, a baby it, more it can. so um pelvic organ prolapse definitely occurs more postnatally just because of the nature of of vaginal birth however it can also happen even if a woman had a c-section just by the nature of pressure dynamics and central stability and um uh, for carrying and carrying that baby, you know, maybe she labored, maybe she didn't labor. Um, so lots of different potentials, regardless of how you, how you birthed. Um, it can happen in women though, even if they haven't had a baby based on pressures. So a lot of, um, I see, um, high performance female athletes who, um, have not necessarily pelvic prolapses, but they can, um, just from how they manage, their system and brace against heavy loading and probably see it a lot more in your CrossFit athletes. Um, but uh, definitely uh, umbilical hernias uh, in high-performance female athletes as well, even if they haven't had babies. Even people who are like chronically constipated or are constantly straining on the toilet, that right. that concept is very similar to giving birth. Um, mm -hmm. The difference is, I mean, obviously when you give birth, it's uh, one event that happens for a period of time. There's a lot of pressure to push a baby out. But then if you think of someone who's chronically constipated and maybe straining on a daily basis, 
we add all of that up, that, you know, little bit of straining every single day for 20 years, we're probably going to see some sort of dysfunction happen. So that's actually a good segue into kind of the nutritional um, component of, I mean, not necessarily particularly what you guys do, but Mm -hmm. what you guys do look at, because you did say that you look at kind of everything and the Mm -hmm. whole patient history when they come in. Mm -hmm. What are some of the main like nutritional um, things that you look at in someone's diet and, and, you know, their, their overall nutrition and how that can play a role in some of these, um, I don't want to say injuries, but like things yeah, that are not going right dysfunctions yeah so um i mean our pelvic floor is at the bottom of our pelvis right and what terminates there is our digestive system and so bladder and bowels um and our pelvic floor has to relax in order to allow things to empty and to eliminate so um if there is anything going on um digestive health wise it's really important really relevant in relationship to that because let's say you have chronic constipation like lisa said if you have con- or even uh, chronic constipation or even IBS where you're fluctuating between both ends of the spectrum or you have, you know, Crohn's or celiac where you gain a lot of abdominal bloating and distension. Hear and, that a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of gut inflammation even. Um, that plays a huge role on how your abdominal wall but also your pelvic floor manages that, right? So if you're in pain, it's going, it's going to let the abdominal wall relax a little bit because you don't want to squish things that are in pain or inflamed, right? But then something has to hold things in. And so that's likely going to be the pelvic floor. So that can cause chronic tension in the pelvic floor, okay. which doesn't really help if you're constipated because you need it to, in order to relax, to empty, right? So um, it can be this vicious cycle sometimes. So we have we really look at digestive health in relationship to pelvic health because they go hand in hand together. And practically speaking, what are you doing to look at that? Are you telling people to take a food journal or tell us like, hey, what's your diet normally like? Or what do you... Yeah, um, definitely for people who do have a comorbid condition for digestive health, I get them to do a food food journal and a food diary. Um, I get them to do a hydration diary um, as well. Exercise, because we know that exercise helps to increase gut motility. So we want to know as well. What word mean? Motility, just like the movement of the gut and how oh, fast okay. is your food processed through. Okay. Um, the other piece that we look at too is have you had any abdominal surgeries, right? Uh, because any abdominal surgeries can really affect just the connective tissue and, and the slide and glide of the organs on one another. So if there's any adhesions or stuckness between them, right. that they're not sliding and gliding well, that can affect not only nutrient absorption, but also the motility again, that, that movement of the gut and that can affect how you're digesting and how well you're digesting and how fast you're digesting. So it really all interrelates. So definitely a food journal. Um, we talk about hydration. We do talk about fiber, but it, it's, I mean, Metamucil, if you're not hydrating, you'll just bulk you more. So it's it's not great. I, we, I, I don't, I don't know. Do you ever really prescribe medicinal? I don't. No. I get them more to look at. I mean, Canada's food guide recently has been phenomenal. Like they've changed it so much. Just so the, different just than like when I was a kid. Oh yeah, the pyramid <laughs> yeah. or, you know, like all these things. They had sugar. They legit had sugar. Did they have legit have sugar? I think oh, at, man, the, at the very top, there was like a little, little <laughs> portion like a for, for dessert. It was like infrequently. Yeah. 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 Um, so we also look at, um, you know, what are you drinking? So are you drinking like lots of sugary sodas and, and juices and that type of thing? Because that sugar dehydrates the gut and it causes more inflammation. So we have to look I at all those know things. That. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Interesting. So then uh, going one step further, um, are you also looking, or I don't know how, but are you getting people to do tests on their gut like microbiome and looking at that kind of stuff as well? I don't know if no. there's any way to test that, but no. would you guys ever go that deep? Um. No, I mean, that's a little bit outside of our scope as physios. So we would refer to a naturopathic doctor right. uh, typically um, for that. So they could do stool tests or they could do, um, yeah, that type of thing. Right. Um, yeah, I, I personally have a little bit of training in functional nutrition. So I'll do it more from the nutrition side and possibly some supplementation. But it's at a very basic level where I can just screen for things and give people sort of a starting point. Um, and then uh, if there's something that I screen that's out of my capacity, then that's where the referral comes in. Cool. So you mentioned that you like um, Canada's Food Guide now, the, I guess, revamped one. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would kind of recommend to most people? All all the other like diseases and things aside where like you wouldn't be able to eat certain foods and whatnot. But mm-hmm. is that what you would basically tell people? Generally speaking, anyone listening to this podcast, follow that, get your vegetables and this and that, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a good place to start, but uh, part of our history is that we are able to screen for things and then refer off to appropriate practitioners. So right. we're very fortunate at our clinic that we have both a naturopathic doctor and a registered holistic nutritionist that work Sweet. with us. So it's great when someone gets flagged that we can say, you know what, this is going to be a really great person then for you to speak with so that we can look at you and take care of you from like multiple, multiple uh, modalities. That's awesome. Talk about like a holistic approach. Like we got everything in house right here. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually um, brings me also to uh, another component of your guys center that I really like uh, is that you kind of have personalized yoga or like small group yoga classes and, and stuff like that. And uh, Andrew, you have like a little bit more of a yoga background, if I understand. Are yeah, you, I'm a yoga you, teacher. You're a yoga teacher. <laughs> so uh, talk to us about how you blend that in with your practice and with your patients. Yeah, so at Bloom, we were, like we talked about at the beginning, um, we really wanted a space where we could offer a lot more therapeutically focused small group movement classes because a big part of health is movement. However, what we found in our individual practice is because we didn't have a space for people to move, um, is that we were getting them to the basic functional level with one-on-one physio. Um, and then they would get back to fitness class, but then they would relapse. So there wasn't really this in-between, more supervised, small group um, availability of of offering uh, for people. And that's, that's what we really are creating at Bloom. So um, we're not offering yoga classes per se, um, but we're offering physio yoga and we're offering physio Pilates, physio alignment. Uh, I'm sure at some point, some other physio combo of stuff. So, um, it will include obviously a lot of, um, you know, core integrative exercise cause that's what we specialize in and it's so important for everyone. Um, but then we'll just be choosing different focuses as far as modality. So as far as the yoga and Pilates and alignment. So, um, right now in the winter we have, um, a few classes coming up. So we have a pre and a postnatal physio yoga series. So all these are, I meant to say all of these are offered in like a four to six week series. So they are intentionally, focused each week and they're progressive. So you start at the base of breathing and kegeling and, you know, or just tuning in and, and to your nervous system and downright your nervous system, whatever the focus is. Um, and then we progress you each week through, um, through a series to help build you. So you're not just jumping into a class that, you know, is trying to teach to a whole bunch of different levels. Right. Um, the other piece too, is that, um, because they are created by physios, um, some of them will be taught by physios, but some of them will be taught by our physiotherapy assistants who we've trained and who have taken extra training. Um, so then they can, we know the people who are taking the classes. So they are physio patients um, and that we have their chart notes. We know their history. We know their, you know, um, their current complaints and what modifications they need and all these types of things. So we are able to, while we have sort of a group focus on what the class is going to do that day, we can tailor it because it's a very small group. We're maximum at eight people. Um, some of them are maximum at five. So it really just uh, is super focused in that way. I really like that because yeah. um, just recommending to someone that they should do yoga can actually be dangerous if they have one of these conditions or mm-hmm. one of these um, things with their body that you know it might not work for them to do maybe they have that herniated disc or something right. and they don't even really realize that that something's off with their back and mm-hmm. they've gone to physio and something might not have worked out or maybe it even got better but then they go right back to doing what they were doing wrong maybe a rounded shoulder rounded backs mm-hmm. deadlifts or something yeah. like that and then they go do a yoga class and it triggers it even more or it gets yeah. even worse so yeah, That's and powerful. the other piece too, so we're looking at it sort of like that bridge between one-on-one physio, rehab, whatever, um, to fitness classes, but also f- for patient populations who they have so many comorbid medical issues that they can't really access a regular fitness class. You know, yeah, yoga would be great for them, but they can't really, they either can't access the center because there's lots of stairs in fitness centers. They expect you to have a minimum level of mobility, right? And so, or they either can do that slash not be able to access it and or um, do it at home by themselves. So they have this lack of community um, with their peers and and that ability to come out into society and yeah. and work with people. So um, that's the other piece that we're working with is to create more classes for people with, with such 
larger medically complex conditions that they can be tailored and supervised by people who are trained to do it properly and safely. I love it. Mm -hmm. Another thing your clinic does um, that I guess is not a very commonly offered thing is um, you're open to all genders and all kinds of things that come with that. Why don't you guys talk a bit about that? Because I actually know nothing about this subject, but uh, you spoke about before about transgender and chest binding and things like that. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. So when we were creating our clinic space, one thing that we really tried to do was um, make it welcome to all individuals. Um, so, you know, some of the colors in our clinic are a little bit more feminine, but that's because that's mine and Andrea's preferences um, in terms of like what we like. <laughs> um, but we do, we are really trying to tailor an environment or create an environment that all individuals are going to feel welcome. Um, so we do treat men, we treat women, we treat children, we treat older adults. Um, we also treat people who are transgender, gender diverse um, at any stage of transitioning. Um, so, for example, with binding, um, chest binding, um, that's a that might be something that needs some physiotherapy care because that's will restrict breathing it can create some problems so you know understanding how to bind appropriately or yeah. also just having that care to understand what to do sort of between your binding and and how to um you know make sure that the thorax has a lot of movement still um so i've done i've done training in in treating patients who are uh transgender and gender diverse so either post-gender affirmation surgery or um, just in at whatever stage of transition they are. Right. Also people who identify as non-binary. So, um, I mean, and that that might not be something that they're coming in for specifically, but just we're very aware and compassionate to whatever gender someone identifies with. Right, because it's kind of another underserved area. I think you, were you mentioning the closest clinic that kind of deals specifically with these kinds of things is outside of Ottawa or not even like there's not too many places that have that level of inclusivity and like dealing with these kinds of in a physio context? Well, I think um, from an inclusivity or clinics or centers that are working with um, patients who are transgender and gender diverse, there are some, there are, gr there are great resources in Ottawa. Um, in terms of what we're talking about, the closest surgical center for some, someone to go for gender affirmation surgery oh, okay, is okay. Montreal. Right. Yeah. So they're okay. So, sorry, I mixed that up yeah, a little no, bit. No, 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 no. That's fine. Um, yeah. So just being like, there is there's a lot of really great resources in Ottawa. We're we're very lucky here. Um, but just also making sure that when someone walks into our clinic, regardless of what gender they do or don't identify with, that they feel comfortable in our space. Really cool. You guys also deal with like post vasectomy or um, and and things of that nature as well. So it is not just a clinic just for, you know, certain types of pre postnatal no. this, that, that. It's like really basically anyone come with your issues and come, we'll sort you out. Like, yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, you guys also have, I, I had one question, it was really specific before. Actually, I'll move to another topic. Um, do you guys think that modern day society puts enough emphasis on sexual health? Um, no. And I think there's a lot, still a lot of taboo and stigma around sexual health and um, being able to comfortably talk about, you know, any sort of sexuality or, or bowel function or bladder function. That's it's really like a stigmatized topic. Right. Um, I think we do need to just have more conversations and understand that it's okay to talk about. Yep. I don't know why, I don't know where this sort of stigma came from, but right. we're really at the clinic, I think trying to break that taboo and that stigma a yeah. lot. And, um, you know, in my friend, in my friend group, they do hear a lot more about sexual health than I think some other people would, whether they like to or not. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, I don't think there is enough emphasis on it. So yeah. how can we change that? What What's something we can do to kind of make it a little bit more, less taboo to speak about these kinds of things? Because it's something that everybody, I mean, experiences and deals with. And so how do we do that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, when we look, I mean, as physiotherapists, we work a lot with dysfunction. So, I mean, we're not on a crusade to like promote, you know, sexual 
I don't know, awakenings for people, but we're, we're there to help them when there is dysfunction, right? And so if there ever is a, a dysfunction, whether it's pain or lack of performance or um, probably those two ends of the spectrum yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or lack of sensation, that type of thing, then please come in and know that it, it shouldn't be that way, right? right? Um, just like there shouldn't be, um, you know, if you're doing sport it, you should be able to do it to the capacity that you want to do it right right um and so i mean i always get this with patients and i'm sure lisa does too that you know everyone's like oh like you know maybe it might be tmi and you know too much information but like we've heard pretty much everything you're not mm -hmm. really gonna shock us about anything that you tell us yeah. um you know i ask some questions and i let people know ahead of ahead of time like i'm gonna ask you a few questions because it will help me to help you right feel free to not tell me if you're not comfortable, but you know, uh, especially if people are coming in with pain with intercourse, you know, does it change based on position and like what position does it hurt more with and right. that type of stuff. Like it, to get, people it gives might us be a little hesitant yeah, at first. So oh, you know? what do you need to know that for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all that information we're asking for a purpose. We're not asking for the sake of asking and we're, and we're not, we're not embarrassed. It's all about helping and, yeah. and trying to help you achieve your goals for care. Um, so I think just talking about it and I mean, Lisa's done amazing with her own social media as far as it's not TMI. She talks about all of these issues and, um, has a few more coming up <laughs> with, uh, one of our local, uh, sex store owners. Um, so talking all about sexual health. So that's something too, that we want to do with Bloom is to have, you know, in a traditional physio clinic where it's all sports injuries, it's sort of, it might be a little more awkward to talk about sexual health, right? Um, and as much as we do treat sports injuries, I think the feel of our clinic is a lot more open to these potentially more, um, you know, embarrassing or gentler conversations that people might not be comfortable having. But we have the space to help you feel comfortable and um, to get the help that you that you need and that you deserve and it's also judgment free that's like the big thing yeah. where i always tell people i'm not i'm not i'm asking this because i'm just trying to get a framework yep and it doesn't matter to me what you answer um but even when i find one question that we i do ask a lot is even just about breastfeeding with postpartum moms and it's not because i'm judging you for breastfeeding or not that's your choice whatever your decision is works best that works best for you that's and a controversial your thing it can be. Oh, yeah, huge breastfeeding is a is a breastfeeding and not breastfeeding is very controversial, but uh, really it, the yeah, choice. They, yeah, <laughs> the choice that that person makes is what's going to work best for them and their family. Okay, I'm only asking so I can get a bit of a hormonal profile. Right. Um, and I I always sort of because it does have an impact. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. An impact just so I know where you're at. Right. What your hormonal profile might look like, um, and I uh, you know everything that we're asking is always judgment free. It's just so we can get a whole picture. Right. Love it. You touched on social media a little bit there. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the business side of things and how you guys are trying to um, grow and have people learn about the business and what you do on social media. Yeah. So we have um, uh, Instagram. We have a Facebook page. Um, shout it out. Don't be shy. Out, yeah. So <laughs> our, our Instagram is uh, bloom underscore health underscore Ottawa and uh, Andrea Plitz. Um, at Andrea Plitz PT, at Lisa Flanders Physiotherapist. Uh, we also have Facebook pages under each of those same names. Um, we have a YouTube channel, um, which is gonna is in the process of being rebranded to Bloom. Um, currently, it's under Lisa Flanders Physiotherapist. But what we're doing is we're creating um, a lot of video content. So we want to be able to give people resources that maybe are they're a little bit shy to access care or. They just want to learn a little bit. So we're trying to create these resources. Um, Andrea did a great breathwork series. It's an eight-part series right now. We might turn it into something more. We're releasing one every Wednesday. So she starts very much at a basic breath and moving into sort of the relationship between the pelvic floor and breathing. Um, and then my series is called It's Not TMI, where I uh -huh. answer questions that people are too embarrassed to ask. And the questions that I get are like, they're not, they really aren't TMI questions, but, I, you know, I just try to try to educate people and make them a little bit fun. I try right. to be a little bit goofy on camera so that people aren't embarrassed. So Yeah, that's good. Like kind of break that ice yeah. right there. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Yeah, so talking about all sorts of topics related to pelvic health that people think are embarrassing but really aren't, and it's just education. I like the community aspect of it. You're building more than just, it's not just a video series that's like instructional, like a manual, like here's how to breathe, this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like, 
here's how to breathe and here's the community. Granted, I haven't watched the videos, but it just sounds like <laughs> from what you described, sounds really cool. Um, speaking about the breathing real quick, we'll get back to like business and social media, but have you like heard of the Wim Hof method and stuff like that? Have you ever heard of this guy, Wim Hof? Anyways. I feel like the name is familiar, but I don't it's this it's what this it's dude they call him the ice man and he pretty <laughs> much can withstand like ridiculously cold situations pretty much just by controlling his breathing and huh. it's like scientifically proven i think he climbed mount kilimanjaro in shorts oh, like wow. and he brought a group of people and and they got scientifically tested and it goes really deep into, hmm. but it's not that deep. Um, <laughs> it goes really deep into like how it affects your, um, I want to, I wish I was like well versed in this stuff, but okay. like your, your, uh, your immune system and like your different kind of like hmm. just from breathing. And I watched one hmm. of his tutorials and I'll send you a link later. Well, I, but mean, I mean, Brett just can really, Brett, <laughs> just breathe people. Um, <laughs> That's literally, he sells shirts that says just, just breathe. breathe. Perfect. <laughs> um, you need to get one. Um, yeah. I mean, breath we know can affect so many systems in our body, our blood pressure, our heart rate, um, our respiratory rate, of course, um, you know, neural transmitter release and an uptake and all those things. So yeah. it's not surprising. Yeah. It's cool. Anyways, back to the business side of things. So uh, social media is one way you guys are trying to grow. Have you guys uh, dove into any kind of advertising or anything like that? Is that something you would like to do in the future? Uh, we don't really have any like specific advertising. And I always think of advertising as like a radio yeah, spot yeah. or like a TV spot. Right. No, we haven't done anything like that yet. Some part of I me, mean, part of what we're trying to create with our videos is is a little bit of advertising as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we're, it's obviously all branded towards our right. clinic. Right. Um, you know, I guess another little piece of advertising that we did, we did a little meet the team series. So we, Andrea and I actually haven't posted ours yet, or haven't filmed ours haven't yet, but um, but we interviewed our team all individually, and we had that sort of cut into these little two minute videos about who works at the clinic. Everybody from our wellness administrator, our office manager, to all the practitioners that work there. So, cool. I mean, it's not specific advertising on TV, but it's definitely a little bit of side advertising. And then also people being able to get to know who they're going to see before they see them. Awesome. And so it's safe to say that you're a little bit more of the marketing, that side of things, whereas, Andrea, you're, you're not... Right. No, I'm focused a little bit more on the group offerings, so right. um, the therapeutic movement side of stuff, uh, workshops and classes, fitness classes. And um, you mentioned that you also try to stay off of social media. Talk to us <laughs> about that a bit. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I just I it's that rabbit hole, man. I just <laughs> I need for my for my sanity and, and just feeling grounded. I feel like I it just ramps me up too much and I feel like I'm pulled in 50,000 different directions. And oh, my just gosh. For my, yes. Um, mental, emotional health, just, I don't know, I do better when I'm off the grid and I'm, I'm, one, of the, I'm one of those people who just like, let me go camping with no watch and, you know, let me be in the woods for 10 days and I'm great, you know? Like, nice. Yeah. That's really cool. The That's way awesome. That, the way that it worked when we were sort of divvying up tasks was that <laughs> I said, I don't like spreadsheets. So like, Andrew said, perfect, I'll do that part. <laughs> um, so I said, yeah, you do all the all the spreadsheet stuff because I don't even know how to use Excel. Like, I'm not going to lie. I have zero idea how to use it. Fair enough. I get yeah. frustrated. Someone tried to teach me and I just said, meh. Yeah. yeah. This is why this partnership's so great because like she does, <laughs> we like, you know, we, ha we both have our strengths. You know, I'm more like the nerdy, like, you know, spreadsheet, financials, tech side of stuff. And she's more on the social media and team i mean i love the team stuff too but yeah someone else can take it over that's awesome <laughs> who likes dealing more with kids um we both do yeah, yeah. I, I love children uh -huh. um i don't love to treat children necessarily okay. children are hard to teach yeah they're, they're hard to, they're treat hard to treat sometimes yeah. especially yeah. younger kids because treating peds it's fun but it's also really challenging because it's not like, okay, Jeez, I need you to that's sit. That's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> Pediatrics. I know, I got it. It's just funny. <laughs> you have to like, you know, it's not like an adult. You'd be like, okay, I need you to move your arm from here to here and like, hey, sit still so I can do this. You know, with like peds, you have to, it's all about play, right? And you have to be like, okay, I need to do this with them today. But to how am I going to gonna trick them into doing this while yeah. I'm playing? And then the best part is when you plan all this stuff ahead of time, 
they don't want to do any of it. Exactly. So then you're like, okay, well, that there goes my great ideas. And then so you have to like roll with it a lot, which is really fun, but it's also just like... It can be exhausting. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> That's where you get like the, the fun color tape out and you get to show them like what color you're going to use with them or yeah, magic um, you band-aids. distract them with like... You distract them with like a, your pelvis model. Oh, and yeah. You just get them to play with it. And, oh, how many pieces can you take apart? Because our pelvis models are all magnetic, so they come apart. <laughs> nice. So you just try to distract them so that you can also do what you need to do. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, wrapping it up a little bit, uh, because we are a little bit short on time. Actually, if you can believe it, we're already over the 45 minutes or whatever. Uh, I like to speak with most of my guests uh, with this common thread that I'm trying to kind of it's a theory I got, but it's not, you know, I'm just working it out and I like talking to people about it, but it's, um, with, it's not that deep kind of like what I mean by it and what I'm tr- kind of trying to figure out with people. Cause from all the people I've met around the world, despite all our differences that everyone really likes to focus so much on, I really do think that most humans are all the same. Uh, you know, and that doesn't mean we are all the same people, but I think we fundamentally want a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that from your experience with so many people in your respective practice? What do you What are your guys' thoughts on that? Anything? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think at a basic level, we all just want to be seen and heard and, you know, validated and um, loved. And I think that's what that's what we try to do. We, I mean, I think as health professionals, we all come from a place of compassion and selflessness and wanting to help other people. So, um, yeah, I feel deep down we are all very similar, and it's just a matter of sort of taking away the layers of what life has put on that individual and and to help find their gooey center and I love <laughs> help it. them express it. That was a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I've really found with especially with social media. Um, I used to really try to do very perfect things on social media. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that like nobody really wants to see someone being perfect on social media. So true. So now I like to post like my fails and, um, you know, I tried this and it didn't work and, you know, watch me do this thing. And I fell over and, um, you know, don't edit things so perfectly anymore on, on video and do funny things because that's what people just want to see other people being real. hundred percent. And, you know, sort of the day to day, what, your day looks like and not just like, Oh yes, I went on all these wonderful vacations and now I'm going to post photos of those, Yeah, you know, and even from the business side, just trying to be like, this is who we are. And mm-hmm. they, you know, we're real people and we make mistakes. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I, I love that. That's so powerful. What you just said, because I I'm very guilty of in the past. I mean, I'd want a photo to look perfect before I posted it. I might even wait a week because I know that one day, this one day, most people are going to be looking at it. Like mm-hmm. that external validation, right? Mm-hmm. But then when I started doing this podcast and like even a little bit before that, I kind of realized that why don't I just post for the sake of posting those likes and those followers and all those things, like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And I'm also even like kind of experimenting with posting things that like I wouldn't like just I wouldn't even want to post. So one thing I was thinking about doing, it was funny you said that it was like uh, I was just doing the most mundane task the other day of just doing my dishes and I was like this is just such a boring thing but I do it every day and I have to because I'm the one living here and if I don't they won't get done I don't have a dishwasher but I do it and I just you know I put some music or a podcast on and I just do it and I was thinking like this would be a great moment to literally just post here's a sink full of dirty dishes guys I gotta do this yeah Uh, like it's not all just like just having fun and vacations and this kind of stuff so that's really powerful. I like that. Yeah. And even and then, you know, even looking at it from um, like a business standpoint, people don't want to see other people in business being perfect. I mean, we're not. And no. And Why well, sell that lie? Like to be. Yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. just real people and figuring it out. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I love that. Is there anything I missed uh, talking with you guys today that you guys really wanted to cover and really get out there? Oh, I think that we covered a lot. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, before I let you go, though, I like to do something called a lightning round. So it's just five quick questions. And I'll just ask the question and then each of you can answer real quick. Uh, so what is one general tip for younger women uh, to start becoming more mindful of their pelvic floor now to set themselves up for less issues in the future? 
kind of like a big loaded question, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, for young women, especially um, just taking a mirror and having a peek. So, um, That's what I, was gonna say. I know I was like, I'm stealing this one from you. Cause I know <laughs> you're going to say that. Um, yeah. Just having a look, have a touch if you're comfortable, if not, you know, work your way up. So maybe touch your leg, touch your lower belly and just work your up and see, see what you're feeling. Um, not good, not bad, no judgment, just see what you're feeling in that area. And, and yeah. Yeah. And once you do that, send us a, a little message saying hashtag did my homework. <laughs> I love that hashtag did my homework. Question two, what is one product that you could not live without? Um, at the clinic? Just in general in life. Uh, oh, that's, that's too, that's too full. Um, <laughs> just, just one thing that use, like, okay. oh, I, I, my life would be just so difficult without this. I love this one thing, this product or service. I guess you could say service. Um, not clinic related guys. Okay. Not clinic related. So one service I couldn't live without, I um, have a wonderful chef that comes to my house every week and cooks me nutritious food. That's gangster. Oh my God, God. I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and she's amazing. That's awesome. The first thing that popped into my head was, just random, um, jojoba oil. <laughs> what is that? It's like a natural oil that I like use to wash my face. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. Awesome. No, an answer is an answer. Um, what is one tip uh, you can give men to improve um, their sexual performance? It's kind of a very open-ended question, but one thing in general from some of the clients you've gotten and or even your experience that uh, can help men improve their own sexual performance. I know it's subjective. I think, yeah, I think just uh, take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. Don't worry about it. Ride the wave, let it do, and go where it's going to go. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say try to communicate with your partner. Great. Um, favorite yoga pose? So I'm not much of a yogi, um, but I'm going to say child's pose because it's just like the easy, stretchy, nice nice one to do. It's a good one. Nice. Um, eyes are like wild thing just because it's named wild thing, which is really fun. And it's a little bit fun to do. That's fun. Uh, last question. What is your favorite way to unwind? Um, so I love going to the gym, um, not so much to work out. I mean, I do work out when I'm there. I love to just go and socialize and hang out with people and have fun and dance to music. That's fun. So you don't go to your own gym at the... At, at, at Bloom? Bloom? I did do a workout there tonight just because <laughs> of timing. But yeah. um, I typically go to a gym really close by uh, my house. Just a quick shout out to CrossFit 1855. <laughs> and I have like an awesome group of girls that I work out with there and we just have fun and takes us like an hour and a half to do a 45 minute workout because we're yammering away yeah, with yeah, but that's fun <laughs> that's a great unwind um I'd say for me it's really just getting together with family so hanging out with my my ridiculous three and a half year old daughter and her fur brother um because they just like battle each other <laughs> hilariously that's great um going for a walk with them and my husband and our neighborhood outside, getting outside. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for coming on so the podcast much. today. Right before I let you go, just shout out your social media stuff once again so people can find you. Okay, so I'm going to have to go through it all. So Instagram, we are um, at bloom underscore health underscore Ottawa, at Andrea Plitz PT, at Lisa Flanders Physiotherapist. Um, our Facebook is under the same names. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And Thanks. just remember, it's not that deep. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's Not That Deep podcast. For access to exclusive articles and content, please head over to www.itsnotthatdeeppodcast.com. And to help me grow this thing to the next level, here's what I need you to do. Go ahead and subscribe to my podcast on all platforms, wherever you listen, and share with all your friends and family on all social media. And please leave a rating as well. Remember, it's not that deep.